Purdy scans, dances, and finds McCaffrey who broke loose. Touchdown, San Francisco. First read was taken away. Purdy's got room to run. Brock Purdy high steps for a first down by Cody Barton. Purdy has a crossing Samuel. Great hands and a first down. It's Purdy to sneak it. It's a wall at first, but then he surges forward, and the 49ers are back in front. Brock Purdy not just steadying the ship, but thriving. On second and goal here, he fakes. He looks. He's in trouble, but keeps it alive and finds Mitchell. Improvisation leads to a touchdown. It's a throw. It is George Kittle, and they got it. Dreams coming true much faster than it looked like it was going to. They'll let him throw again. Wide open, Debo Samuel. Got a block from George Kittle. Debo Samuel, there he goes. Foot on the gas, all the way. Touchdown, San Francisco. A 74-yarder. In the pocket, fires, and that'll be caught for the touchdown. Evan Ingram. Lawrence looking under pressure, throws wide open, making the catch. Marvin Jones for the touchdown. Lawrence protected well. Going deep, has a man open again. Zay Jones for the touchdown. Lawrence fires into the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. Christian Kirk. So Hasty is the running back. They're going for two. And Lawrence reaches over and scores. Three backs behind him to the outside. ETN. First down and a ton more. And stays in bounds to the 15-yard line. What a call. 36-yarder from the right hash to win the game. Logan Cook will put it down. Riley Patterson. Cook puts it down. Patterson's kick is up. The field goal is good! 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 The Jaguars have won it! The Jaguars have won it! They have come back from 27-0 to win the game and move on. How good is that? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, baby. How good was that? Good stuff. What a way to kick off our super wild card weekend. Am I right, Brian Hanley? You know, Jeff, uh, right before kickoff, a buddy of mine who lives up in Edmonton, Canada, from back in my hockey days, big, big uh, NFL fan. He texted me. He's like, hey, did you bet Jacksonville? And I'm like, I think he was looking for moral support. <laughs> and I said, I didn't bet the game. I texted him back. Mm-hmm. And when it was 27 nothing, I texted back, I hope you didn't bet Jacksonville. It was a 98.5% win probability at that point. This this is when live betting is absolutely oh. at its best. When you can jump in, get those ridiculous odds in your favor. And listen, it happened earlier in the year with the Vikings and the Colts. Obviously, it's not going to come through this often. But man, what a thrilling way to cap off last night's start to the NFL playoffs. Look, if you bet the Jacksonville Jaguars at, at 27 zip you either got the largest <laughs> stones in the world or you really need to get to a meeting i don't know i mean that, that's like the first of the 12 steps don't do that uh don't but, deter the loyal listeners out there bry this is this is a money-making they, opportunity oh my i mean what a what a second half yeah about i don't know it was when jacksonville had just lost to the texans and scored all six points 
or maybe it was when they had lost to the the Raiders. Um, I think Joe Fortenbaugh, our, our, our buddy, the ESPN gambling guru, texted out. So this about a third of the way, fourth of the way through the season. He texts out, I'm paraphrasing, maybe Trevor Lawrence is just not very good. Is that mm. a possibility? And I don't know if <laughs> you still have the answers. We sit here today. I mean, the first half, four interceptions, and then cool, calm, and collected. And next thing you know, they're advancing. I, I the not, former number one overall pick versus Brock Purdy, Mister Irrelevant. I, what, I mean, what a day! I, I don't even, I don't know which quarterback you start talking about. No, it, it was absolutely fabulous. You're absolutely right. To Brock Purdy, uh, as you heard as we started the show, the highlights kicked off with him. In Saturday afternoon's game, the 49ers eventually get to the point where which we all expected trucking the Seahawks 41-23. to Obviously, the Seahawks had a 17-16 lead heading into the half, but the 49ers eventually overwhelmed them like a lot of people expected would be the case. But yeah, the Jaguars come back last night. Or maybe we should uh, take a cue from LL Cool J. And, uh, you know, come back. let's try that again real quick. Don't call it a comeback. There you go. Thank you. Lady Lover, oh, the, Cool J. There are comebacks, and then there's that whatever that was. There's choke I mean, jobs. There are choke jobs. And without the Chargers participating in that game, I'm not sure the Jaguars have it unfold that way and come back from a 27-point deficit there. Because, man, oh, man, the Chargers become the first team in NFL playoff history to lose a game in which they had a plus-five turnover margin in their oh, favor, Brian. I, 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 the last quarterback to throw four interceptions in a, in a playoff game was, I believe, Brett Favre in 2002. They, he lost that game. Um, I, I just – what you saw in the first half – and we're all going to fixate on, on the second half and, and the Chargers not being able to stop. Was that prevent defense, which kills you all the time? Uh, or was that just Jacksonville, as they said in the postgame, just grinding it out? But what about the last five minutes of the first half? You have the muff punt. So L.A.'s got the ball first and goal at the six. They pick up all of one yard, settle for a field goal. And then here comes Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence marching down the field for a, a, a touchdown that just made, you know, everyone thinks it's just going to avert the shutout. No one saw the rest coming. But had the Chargers actually put the ball in the end zone when they got the gift of the muff punt, we're not sitting here talking about the big comeback, are we? Or if they'd actually not allowed – Jacksonville marched down the field at the end of the first half and then the first three possessions of the, the second half. I mean, I, there are so many t- twists and turns, and, and Doug Peterson making some calls. I mean, there are so, so many things that go into something like that. Yeah, you bring it up so it segues nicely. You mentioned Brett Favre, the last quarterback to throw four INTs since Trevor Lawrence did it yesterday, and somehow, some way, the Jaguars actually win their game in the playoffs here at least. Four INTs in the playoffs. Um, but so you also mentioned Doug Peterson there, which leaves us, lives, uh, delivers us right into the opportunity to give you Doug Peterson talking about Trevor Lawrence bouncing back from the tough first half. I played with one of the greatest quarterbacks ever in, in Brett Favre. And there were times when, you know, he didn't have a, a great first half and came back in the second half and, and uh, could light it up. And, and that's what that's what I love about Trevor and, and his demeanor and, and uh, his aggressiveness and um, the ability to just forget and move on, um, but he'll be the first one to tell you that it's not—it's not about him. It's the guys around him too. Made made plays. Protection was good. Uh, receivers were doing a nice job being where they needed to be. Um, but uh, you know, from an individual standpoint, it was uh, 
this is really a, a great performance by our quarterback. Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson, who, as he mentioned, did play with Brett Favre for plenty of years as his backup up in Green Bay. Uh, Lawrence talking about how he was able to lead the comeback. It kind of just sums up our season, that, you know, the game tonight. Um, and for myself, you know, obviously, yeah, worst, definitely the worst half of my football life, of a lot of people's football life, too. So some type of history probably in that stat. But, I mean, really just, you know, I felt like only one of those plays was a, was a bad decision. So I, I felt like I was seeing things all right. Um, a couple, they made a couple great plays. You know, there was one where, you know, Zay got tangled up and, you know, for – Whatever, we'll leave it at that. And uh, it was the guy made a good play, though. You know, on the first or the fourth down, you know, early in the game, and then the one when we were backed up was a bad decision. So I felt like, you know, I felt like I was seeing it all right. Trevor Lawrence there talking about how the Jaguars were able to come back despite the fact that they were trailing twenty-seven to nothing at one point in that game. Just ridiculous last night, and surprising though too because you felt like. Sure, the Chargers didn't take advantage of all the opportunities you mentioned there, Bry, failing to convert with a touchdown on that muff punt, which really would have, you felt like, salted the game away at that instance had they just put it in for a touchdown. But they were not able to do that. And I think the real question, too, because it's going to be fun to discuss the Jaguars, and they've got another game coming likely against the Kansas City Chiefs, I assume. Uh, Most people are not expecting the Dolphins to upset the Bills or the... Ravens to upset the Bengals, but nevertheless, we'll continue to talk about them. The real story, I think, today also is Brandon Staley and whether or not he had his final press conference last night as a head coach of the Chargers. He was asked how surprised he was about blowing a 27-point lead. I mean, anytime you're up 27-7 at halftime and you've got four takeaways and you end up winning the takeaway margin for nothing, you know, it's going to be it's gonna be a killer. Uh, I'm hurting for everybody in that locker room. It's a special group of guys, and, you know, this is the toughest way that you can lose, you know, in the playoffs. Um, and uh, certainly with the way we started the game, that's that's the team that um, I know that we're capable of being. And in the second half, um, we just didn't finish the game. And, you know, we're going to learn a lot from this. And, you know, um, unfortunately, this is the tough side of things. Our season's over, but um, I love everybody in that locker room. And um, this was a step for us, and um, we're going to grow a lot from it. He just not does not exude head coaching material, I think, when you listen to him after a blown game like that, Brian. But you know what, Jeff? A couple of years ago, people were saying, how did the hell did he get out of Hallis Hall? How did right. they let this guy walk out the door? Right? He mm-hmm. was he was the, the flavor of the year, not just the month. And everyone's like, the Bears were going to be in the market yet again for for a head coach. You know, and, and everyone thought, you just let maybe, you know, one of the offensive minds go. And, and go to the West Coast. So, I, you know, they always say there's no, no such thing as a stupid question. He's going to get another job, right? I mean, he's going to get another crack at the NFL. It won't be as a, a coordinator. Someone's going to hire him, right, you, I, I would think. I, you would ex- Oh, definitely as a coordinator. No, you, but I mean as, as a head, a head co- coach. Yeah, no, you're right. Based on, you know, he's so young right now. He's not even 40 yet. You're right. This isn't Matt Nagy. I mean, and I, and when yes, Matt Nagy absolutely. got kicked to the curb, I, I, we, we all said, I said it. You know that uh, Ryan Pace would never be a GM in the league again, and Matt Nagy would never be a head coach. They would have jobs, but mm-hmm. it was such a debacle and, and dysfunction and, and cluelessness that was the you know rule here. There's no way in hell. And Trubisky was going to hold the clipboard somewhere, but he wasn't going to be, you know, someone's number one. They were weren't going to give him that opportunity, but for injury. So someone's going to give Staley a job, and that I'm getting around to to our guy Matt Eberflus. 
coming off a 3-1 season when everyone thought maybe they win five or six games, and yet no one seems to be shaken in their confidence of Iberflus and or Ryan Poles. And this is only like the, the largest offseason, biggest offseason in, in Bears history. Mm-hmm. And I still don't know. I mean, I have no idea what we have here in the GM and the head coach. They look the part. You know, they, they have the demeanor. But if we start going over just what Ryan Poles did during the season, where's your confidence level? I tweeted, we have a Twitter poll. Where's your confidence level in Ryan Poles going into this offseason? Which is huge, given his 100-plus million salary cap room, number one overall pick, given what some of the moves he made during the season. Are you very confident, somewhat confident, or not very confident? Um, I mean, we'll know a lot more after this offseason, but I – you know, Chase Claypool, um, some of the veteran signings of the offensive line that didn't turn out. When you traded Roquan Smith, I mean, if you knew you weren't going to sign him, should you have traded him before the season? A lot of questions there. No, they're, and they're, they're all fair questions. It's been the longest honeymoon period, I think, for a GM and a head coach ever when you consider they put a 3-14 and 14 record up in their first season, and everybody, for the most part, is – I don't think you can – truly vote on what you just with any degree of confidence because everybody's giving them a long runway here to figure out what exactly happens in this offseason and the way they approached it in the previous offseason without really making any huge attempts to try and get better as a team well you know it's hard to really judge them on where they're at right now 312-332-3776 i'm jeff meller along with brian hanley we're talking football right now of course we've got plenty to dissect regarding the bears and what a crazy week of news we had coming from them and of course reacting to last night's playoff games and talking about today's playoff games as well 312-332-3776 up next we'll dive deep into the bears and ryan poles's decision he met with the media we'll share some of the interesting things he said on tuesday on espn 1000 this is chicago's home for sports espn chicago listen now in hd on our app and on espn 1000 Brian Hanley hanging out with you here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. 312-332-3776 if you'd like to jump on in and react to yesterday's fabulous comeback by the Jags. Or do you call it a choke job by the Chargers? Either way, feel free to react with us or talk about the Bears as well. Of course, we're always your home to talk Bears here on ESPN 1000. Let's kick things off with Jordan, who's downtown. He wants to talk about last night's game. Jordan, you're on ESPN 1000. Hi, how are you doing? It was a hell of a game. Nice game by the refs. Terrific. Uh, I didn't have a dog in the race. I just watched and I couldn't believe the uh, the line judge. Why did they stop calling holding calls? There must have been twelve holding calls. If you guys reviewed the film mm-hmm. or the you know the game, you look at the right tackle. He's just wrapping his arms around Bosa. And this is why Bosa went ballistic. They stopped making holding. You know, they stopped calling holding calls. That's- oh, sorry, sorry, Jordan. There, I, I snipped you. No, it's it like Bry. It's a fair point. I saw lots of people very upset. And on the heels of what we got from Adam Schefter yesterday, the NFL officiating, this, this actually, come, the report comes out 
yesterday morning before the NFL playoffs kick off that the NFL officiating is under scrutiny after the Seahawks-Rams game from last week, which really kind of helped the Seahawks win that game in overtime. Lots of missed calls that Schefter laid out in his article on ESPN.com. Jordan makes a good point. There, You can look at every game across the league and find plays where... There, if you, you look at the replay, you could easily see, based on the letter of the law and the rule book, that it's not being called or it's called the wrong way. And this happens time and time again in the most popular sport, the most gambled upon sport in the country. Yeah, I, I don't know how you would do it in the NBA. You have the final two minute report that comes out after each night, you know, and they they tell you which plays the officials didn't call and should have called and. You know, and the bear, the bulls which, rather. Which, by, by the way, I'm still trying to understand what that truly accomplishes, except yeah, well, for, I, for pointing a big neon arrow into at your mistakes. Well, and, and that was, you know, th- that's a great point because everyone at the end of the game, and our caller just talked about the second half. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last two minutes in the NBA, and and the bulls actually were screwed out of three wins in like in ten yeah. days mm-hmm. by that. But there are calls in the final two minutes of the first half, which they don't put a report out on. And I get everything's magnified, uh, but I don't know how you would evaluate or the NFL has even any stomach to to put out reports on its officiating. Um, For years, they were part-time officials, right? And and you're just like, you know, the guy went back and sold insurance on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday before he put the shirt back on and the whistle. I, I don't. But to the caller's point, I think it was Bill Belichick. I don't remember which Super Bowl against um, St. Louis and Mike Martz, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Bill, Belichick, very calculated, figured they're not going to drop a flag on every play in the Super Bowl. So how do you slow down the greatest game on turf or mm-hmm. you know basketball on on? You just start holding and see see how much the the officials want to be the story, right? And sure. so you just start grabbing and, and hold and. And guess what? They never called. I mean, they just got away with it because on the biggest game and the biggest stage with the with, you know, everyone sitting there watching. He's like, OK, let's see if they call it. No, it's the, the officials put their whistle in the pocket. They thought the game was over, too. And Joey Bosa's frustration boils over to an unsportsmanlike. On, mm-hmm. I was, you know, to, to the point where Peterson said, OK, now we can go for two because it's yes. just a one yard line. Absolutely. No. And it's such a huge difference, too. Uh, and let's be honest, nobody wants to watch a game that's littered with no. penalty flags across the field for the entire game either. So, no, it's a, it's a fair point that Jordan brings up. And again, I, I find it interesting, too, on the heels of you're, you're getting ready to kick off super wild card weekend yesterday. Right. And then Adam Schefter's got this report you know, saying, hey, the league's not happy right now with the officiating. I mean, it's an interesting way to go about choosing to call into question your officiating, right? Like right before the playoffs get going. And I don't know if there's ever going to be a solution when you consider, you know, I, I've talked to Yurko Waddle, you know, thousands of times. You can call sure. holding on virtually every play. But every yes, play. there are some that are so much more egregious and they spotlighted them. They showed you Joey Bosa numerous times being held and not getting the call. And so it leads to, like you said, him being, you know, completely annoyed, throwing his helmet down in frustration. He's actually, I mean, it was his second unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. So he did dodge a little bit of a bullet. It was, I'm glad they didn't toss him at that point. But obviously it was critical because, yes, as you pointed out, Doug Peterson then chooses, hey, you know what? I'll go for two because now it sets us up at the one-yard line instead of the two. And that's a much easier conversion rate. And... And you then know, you're going for the win with the field goal instead of absolutely, overtime. which 
plays everything out so much differently because when you mm-hmm. consider if you're down by two there, you know, you know, you only need the field goal to win as opposed to if you kick the extra point, you're down by you're down by three. Everything changes in that final dri- drive for the Jaguars because now they're not if they're playing for the they're obviously playing for the touchdown. So maybe they're a little more aggressive in that situation because they want to win the game in regulation if possible. But when you put yourself in those situations, you also open yourself up to the possibility the defense might turn you over if you're being more aggressive. All that stuff comes into play when they, as opposed to not having to play for just a field goal for the win, which was an absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll give Peterson credit. Um, he he went for the two, and you you could very easily see a situation where had they been stopped. I mean, this is playing the result, but they would people would have been very critical of Doug Peterson had they been stuffed at the one yard line last night as opposed to converting. Yeah, and how would guys in that room feel about their head coach, just like how do guys in that room feel about Brandon Staley? I mean, if if Staley's lost Bosa and, and it, hey, I mean, the fact that he played his starters in the in a meaningless oh. final regular season game and, you know, their top one of their top guys gets a broken back. Yep. I, was- uh, I mean, did he lose when Mike Williams gets a fractured back and is unavailable in that game? Did Brandon Staley lose that team before they even got in there? But the answer would seemingly be no, because they're up twenty-seven to nothing. But now, who knows? And you know, just a couple short years ago, Jeff, mm-hmm. there the uh, leaked out that the league put out a memo to all its officials about, hey, we need not necessarily more points, but we need more sustained offensive drives that could lead to points. So therefore, anything that looks like defensive holding or pass interference should be called and, and will be called. And, and we saw a spike in that because, it, you know, the NFL is all about, they don't want 13 to six games when the Texans go ahead and beat Jacksonville early in the season, right? They want back and forth, back and forth. Not necessarily saying you have to get teams in the end zone, but they want teams marching from the 20 to the 20 and see where they go once they get in the red zone. So, I mean, I don't know if you can have it both ways where two years ago you're saying call everything on the defensive holding. And, and then if you're trying to get sustained drives, don't you know? Don't call offensive holding, but maybe it was just a byproduct of hey, this team's up twenty-seven nothing. We're not going to drop a flag. Let's get this thing over with, and we'll you know we'll go get to the restaurant on time. No, and there there were listen, listen, there were a few calls too that the Jags. You you know you saw Trevor Lawrence a couple times looking for a flag that I thought easily could have been called. To your point, based on what we've seen play out through the history of the league over the last five to seven years, where they really have cracked down on the defensive holding on the pass interference there were a couple plays you know one the on the you know when the jaguars were going for that was it the first time they went for the two-point conversion when they failed to convert it looked like zay jones was being mugged by asante samlin jr who had already completed a hat, hat trick for of interceptions in the first half he's being mugged in the end zone no call on that one so it's a fair point they've kind of conditioned us to where you almost expect any little contact for it to be called and you know the problem is you just never know what you're going to get. I think the, the it's we could all accept it if when we saw it go if it was if a guy's being mugged he's it's not being called fine if that's the way you're going to do it you know like Belichick did so many years ago then just let it be that way and play out that way through the entirety of the game. You can't shift in the middle of the game and all of a sudden change what you're calling because that's where I think players have the most difficulty trying you know and and I think a fair gripe. Yeah, and, and when we come back from the break, uh, you know, after watching that game last night and Trevor Lawrence, and again, he said, uh, Doug Peterson said it was kind of like our season, right? The, the first half of the season, there were Jacksonville mm-hmm. that we've become accustomed to. 
And then they started getting in gear and same last night, you know, Jacksonville being Jacksonville in the first half. But my question is, is there a, a something that Ryan Poles can learn from what the Jacksonville team did in the offseason last year versus what he's going to have to do or his list of things he needs to do in this offseason with all that cap room and with the number one overall pick? Do you trade it? Do you keep it? Um, but assuming you think Justin Fields is your franchise quarterback and still like to hear from Bears fans on that, um, you know, what we, is there something that Jacksonville did that the Bears need to, to emulate in this offseason to, to get to where they need to be beginning next year? That is Brian Hanley posing the question. I'm Jeff Meller. We're here with you till 11 o'clock today to whet the appetite of the listeners. Here's Ryan Poles defining what he believes is success for 2023. To get better. To get better, to continue to bring guys in that can, we can continue to, we need to win more games. Um, so some of those tight games, I want to finish. I want to finish better, um, and bringing in some playmakers, more playmakers is going to allow us to do that. So the expectation is to take that next step. I want to stair step this thing to the to the top, and then stay up there as absolutely long as possible. Um, and you, you got to be. I always go back to making sound decisions. And sometimes when you don't make sound decisions in the short term, it can look really good, but then it's what happens after. So we want to make decisions that can last a long time um, so we can stay at the top, you know, have the peak and then the drop off after. Bears general manager Ryan Poles as he was meeting the media with his season concluding press conference on Tuesday. We've got plenty more from Poles coming your way. And he's also, by the way, Got a new boss. We'll talk about that right here on ESPN 1000. If you miss something, get the podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. This is ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Jeff Mellon, Brian Hanley talking with you this morning. This Chilly Sunday morning here in Chicago on ESPN 1000, reacting to last night's playoff comeback victory by the Jaguars. Looking at how their season has set up and maybe what the Bears can glean from what they've done as a franchise, as an organization, what they've put around their number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback, and what the Bears will do with their number one overall pick. It's been a crazy kind of week for the Bears, Bri, when you consider the last time you were on the air. You had the chaotic finish. Lovey Smith lending a helping hand to his franchise, winning uh, probably against the organization's best wishes and providing the Bears with the number one overall pick. Then we had Ryan Poles meet the media on Tuesday and discuss all the possibilities going forward. And then, of course, we got word on Thursday that Kevin Warren has been named the Chicago Bears' new team president and he will meet with the media on tuesday to be introduced so a lot of bears news considering they're three and 14 this year well and you know when you look at jacksonville they went and signed christian kirk to a four-year 78 million dollar uh or 72 million dollar deal mm-hmm. and a lot of people are like are you out of your mind the guy never had a thousand yard season right and he's coming out of arizona and that you know the dysfunction that was going on there yep but it takes, you know, this goes back to Ryan Poles, who, who I want to believe is going to get this done, but I, I, I have no idea. I mean, time will tell. But he's got a, a by a country mile, he's got more salary cap room than the, the second the team with the, you know, he's got, what, $118 million or so yep. to play with? 
Yeah, I believe the Fal- at- I believe the Falcons are second with sixty nine million. Yeah, I mean it's almost double. And and we'll hear from him because he talked about he was asked about specifically what he plans to do with that, and um, he channeled his inner Jed Hoyer. Basically, said he's going to spend spend intelligently. But a lot of people thought Christian Kirk wasn't the guy you're spending intelligently on, and he gets you know in in the game last night, Exhibit A, fourteen targets, eight receptions. 78 yards and the TD that sets up the the possibility for a winning field goal. And it's just, you're going to have to figure out, look at the free agent class of of wide receivers. I mean, does anyone believe that? And I wanted to believe Chase Claypool could be the number one wide receiver in that move made in season. He gave up the better of the second round picks that you just got for Roquan Smith. And you're not, that that was a high price to pay. And right now, you know, if the jury had to come in today, you're like, that's not a very good move for Ryan Poles, right? You, it's not, you wouldn't get a passing grade on that. Absolutely. Uh, yes, I don't know what, you know, the the couple big moves he did make in the in, in season, how encouraged are you that he's going to make really good decisions in the offseason? All right, so so many points to build on here, and I will play some Ryan Poles here. First off, uh, you mentioned, okay, what's the plan in free agency? Here's Ryan Poles talking about where the franchise plans to go from here. Where do we go from here? And that's really elevate off this foundation that we built. Um, we start with after-action reports. I believe in that. Uh, we're going to get together, talk about what we did well, what we didn't do well, attack our weaknesses, and continue to do what we did well over again. Uh, player feedback. Coach and I met from 7 a.m. yesterday to 2 o'clock and met with every single player on our roster. And we spent a lot of time, and our coaches, our position coaches spent time talking about how guys have to get better for next season. But we want a feedback of where we have to be better as well, what, uh, our process, our scheduling, uh, anything from travel, cafeteria, uh, communication, all of that stuff. We wanted to know where we came up short so that we can support them better and that they're in a position to be successful. And then we're going to identify needs. What do we need? Where are the holes in the roster? Um, and then we're going to attack them uh, with the same relentlessness that we did this past season. Um, obviously, we have a lot more resources, so I'm excited um, to do that. But we got to stay sound in free agency. I, I know everyone's talking about how much money we have, and we're just going to go crazy. We're going to be sound so that we get the right players in here and we get good value. And attack the draft, always keeping value in mind. That's going to stay the same. It's not going to change just because we have – you know, the number one overall pick. So it sounds like right there being, you know, tempering the expectations just a little bit there, Brian, saying, hey, we're going to be sound. Even though they have the most cap space, don't necessarily expect them to go out and splurge and blow it all this offseason. I'll point out, it is a weaker wide receiving core yeah. available in this free agency. The, the two biggest names, the two most interesting names, first off, I'll say uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, although we'll see if he actually wants to leave Kansas City. Now, money might be what does the talking ultimately for him, but if the Chiefs end up playing in the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl, you could very easily see if the Chiefs want to bring him back, that's going to be a situation where he very likely might want to stay. And then Jacoby Myers is probably the next name on the list, and I don't think anybody gets overly excited about Jacoby Myers, but what I'll say is your your comparison to Christian Kirk. Yeah, there's a guy who, if you really like him, you know, if he's not lateraling back to Mac Jones and losing the game, watching Chandler Jones just stiff arm him into the ground. When he's not <laughs> doing that, he's been a productive, you know, wide receiver throughout his career. But he's not necessarily a game changer in the make of AJ Brown, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams. Those three guys who we saw move this previous offseason all via trade. Well, and, and it's a great point because, you know, going back to Christian Kirk, a guy who didn't have a thousand yard season prior and, and 
you have to have the staff, a scouting staff, to believe in that you're seeing something that the numbers don't necessarily attest to, right? Mm-hmm. You have, and and not like Ryan Pace was the only guy who believed in Mitch Trubisky and was absolutely enthralled by him to the point where he had blinders on, and and we know how that played out here. But you have to have a vision, believe in it, believe that what you're what you think you see is there, and then even if it's Juju Smith Schuster, as you said. Money does eventually talk. Now, I get it. You know, guys want to win and, and, and be in the postseason, and, and you're sitting there with Patrick Mahomes delivering the ball. That's that's a tough thing to, to try to recruit against. But when you have this kind of money, if you have to overpay, I mean, Christian Kirk got, what, $37 yeah. million guaranteed, right? No, I mean, you're absolutely right, too. I'll let you finish in a second. But but that that deal was uh, roundly panned by virtually oh, any like NFL that. you know analyst out there when they made that that signing people were like boy that's a lot of money for Christian Kirk but to your point you know it, and you know what I'll add it wasn't just that it was they doubled and tripled down adding Evan Engram and Zay Jones and those were guys too who people were say, saying boy you're you're spending quite a bit of money but that goes to understanding your scouting you know being good at it, right? Recognizing talented players who people haven't gotten the best out of yet. And then also putting them in positions like the Jaguars did this season and last night for them to succeed. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, and that's the point. Sometimes you have to overpay because really how attractive is the Bears situation for a free agent, even though it's not great, it's not Tyreek Hill. You're trying to, to get woo here, Mm -hmm. but at some point, to overcome, you know, the easy. Let's. I'd like to stay in Kansas City with one of the greatest quarterbacks we'll ever see. Versus, I've got 118 million dollars if I can guarantee you more than anybody else. And and how did so Trevor Lawrence? If you're going to maximize Justin Fields, and assuming and from what we heard, they they do believe that Justin Fields is the guy. You know, we'll see how that plays out next year. Mm-hmm. But how did these guys? How did Tua get better? Well, you got Tyreek Hill. Yep. How did you know? How did Trevor Lawrence get better, including last night? It was Christian Kirk. You need to start start putting something reasonable around your franchise quarterback in order for him to take those steps so you can finally make that final decision on. But the point is, I, I was surprised this week how many you know people covering the Bears, when they listed priorities, it was all about the defensive line, which surely needs an overhaul and an upgrade everywhere you look. But isn't it still about the quarterback? I mean... <laughs> I know you have a, a huge list of to do in this off season and a lot of assets with which to do, but good lord, if you're going to you know get down to fourth or fifth before you start improving the the talent around Justin Fields, I got an issue with that. So I know Bears fans are very curious as to what Ryan Poles' approach will be with that wide receiving position. And will it be complicated by the fact that he's already made a bold move trading for Chase Claypool? Polls evaluated the Claypool trade now, a few weeks later, after knowing now that he's given up the 32nd overall pick for Chase Claypool. I think that's the difference between like trades in baseball and, and, and basketball. It's like plug and play. There's an entire offseason and half of a season of installs and all the things that you need to do collectively to play and, and execute offensive play. Um, on top of that, it was a little bit choppy with some of it, Justin getting dinged up. Um, he got dinged up. Uh, so it was a little bit choppy of a start. I don't. I told Chase, and we had a really good conversation, I'm not blinking at that one at all. I think he's going to help us moving forward, and I'm excited about it. Brad, can I take Claypool for a second? Um, 
when you traded for him, obviously what you gave up for him, you expect him to be a part of your organization for a while. And you said you don't blink at all at the lack of production the last couple of months. So when, when you acquire him, knowing that he'd be coming up for an extension uh, this offseason, this doesn't change your opinion at all? You're of the same mindset you were when you acquired him? I think, you know, if with health, with uh, Justin being out for a little bit, um, your expectation, I told him, like, yeah, I wish, I wish he came in, he had 1,000 yards, and we just were going, but it didn't happen that way. But do I believe in the talent and what he can bring to this team? I do. Um, and I still think we're going to get that. In terms of the, the contract stuff, to me, we just got to take the next step and see how he gets implemented and how he does in this offseason. He's going to spend a lot of time with Justin as well as the other receivers and build that chemistry, and we'll be able to evaluate that even clearer next year. Doth Ryan Pulse protest too much? Brian Hanley in regards to the Chase Claypool questions. There's a lesson I hope he learned from trading for Chase Claypool. I'll share that with you next here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. for you, Brian Hanley. Not so fast. You said Matt Nagy's never going to get a head coaching job again. Jeremy Fowler begs to differ. There's a possibility, my friend. The Tennessee Titans have requested permission to interview Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy and senior assistant slash quarterbacks coach Matt Nagy for their open OC job. So that's the OC job. But OC job. Yeah, I mean, okay. And you know what? If they if they go that route, he fired himself as a play caller two or three times here. They're they're dumber than I thought. If that's the case, I mean, I, I, I know that there, there's a, a requirement to, to interview minority uh, mm-hmm. coaches, you know, to give them possibility to be promoted. I don't think stupid coaches constitute a minority. Well, they do, maybe, maybe a majority. If he gets that job, heaven help if you're a Titans fan. Good now, Lord. now the Chiefs do not have to grant permission necessarily because oh, they oh God, I drive them to the airport. <laughs> oh, it went so well here, but I do think. Listen, that was the easiest one to call. The moment he got fired, you knew he would fall back in the oh, warm Andy embrace Reed. of Andy Reid. Sure, uh, reclamate his career and with Patrick Mahomes, and it's gone swimmingly so far. Hey, I mean Matt Lafleur in the post game after they they you know got ousted last week, mm-hmm. they didn't get the sniff of the postseason. Said, oh, Nathaniel Hackett is more than welcome here. I mean, like they didn't. The office is still waiting for him. The, uh, so it's great to have the old boy network. I was just going to say the young boy network. Yeah, yeah, the good old young boys network. Uh, nepotism at its finest here. I'm Jeff Meller along with Brian Hanley. We're here with you until eleven o'clock today, talking plenty of football. We might sneak in a little bit of Cubs and Bulls as well. Uh, Cubs convention this weekend. Uh, we had Tom Ricketts and Jed Hoyer on the station this week. Uh, actually, yesterday, uh, Friday. So uh, we'll share some of what they said with you later on as well. But hey, can we figure out the why uh, of Matt Nagy getting hired in Tennessee? Uh, let's figure out the why. 
Isn't that what it's, he always liked to do every week? We got to figure out the whys. I thought that was uh, based on the way Matt Nagy always brought it up and never answered it. I thought it was I a rhetorical know, every question, week in the Bri. Game, yeah, they were always trying to why. find out the why. Well, uh, the why started with the OU. <laughs> <laughs> let me. Let me answer, though, an actual question that I pose or a tease as we went to break. I mentioned there's a lesson I hope Ryan Poles learned from the Chase Claypool trade. And that is when you're in the midst of a rebuilding year and you know you're in the midst of it because you've clearly made the decision, which he had having traded Robert Quinn and then a week later Roquan Smith, trading away two of your veteran leaders from the roster, you knew you were in the midst of a full-blown rebuild, right? So if that's the case, and I, have, I had no problem with that. I actually thought that was the smartest way to approach it, and I'm glad he was able to go ahead and grab some draft capital for those veteran players. But you can't do it both ways. And the decision to trade for Chase Claypool... Listen, I'm not writing him off yet. There's still, you know, I do think he needs the whole offseason, and hopefully he'll learn the offense better. Justin Fields will get a feel for how, what they like to do together, create some chemistry. I think there's a possibility Chase Claypool still rebounds and is a part of this Bears wide receiving core going, going forward. However, the problem comes now when you, when you don't know where you're drafting, right, and you give up those draft picks and you give up in particular, first or second round picks, and you don't know where you're drafting, and the higher you move up in those rounds, they become much more valuable draft picks. The problem by, by Ryan Poles when he got, you know, allured by the siren call of Chase Claypool and the Packers were in on the deal and he wanted to, you know, trump a division foe because I have no doubt the Steelers were telling him, listen, he's going to the Packers unless you give us your first round pick. Not that, not that Ravens pick that you got for Roquan Smith. And he said, yes, let's do it. Uh, Chase Claypool, I believe in him. He's the guy I want. The problem is you had decimated your defense. And I know they were. I don't think he ever truly believed that the number one pick was in the cards when they made those deals because they were actually coming off sure, of a successful sure. game against the Patriots. But the problem is when you're, when you're doing that and you're taking apart key plate pieces that are making you competitive – and you're giving up a draft asset that you that could end up being much more valuable than it actually is at the time. I hope he's learned that lesson. If you're in the midst of a full-blown rebuild, don't give up those pieces without knowing what exactly what you're giving up. It'd be different if you made a trade this offseason before the draft goes down and you know you're picking 32nd. And you're saying, okay, I'll give up my second-round pick for something, whatever it happens to be. But when you're just giving up the vague you know, second-round pick without knowing where it's going to fall and you're clearly a bad team you just gave up a very valuable piece for chase claypool who i don't know if he's going to work out okay but you heard ryan poles and i'll take him at his word in that mm-hmm. in, in that press conference he's not blinking at that move okay and and maybe he needs to say that because we'd all be sh- our confidence would be shaken maybe even more than it was with the move mm-hmm. but if he truly believes that and he was dinged and justin was dinged and you know i'm not blinking at that and the, it, it's going to look better well, this whole idea that you're not going to give him that contract extension this offseason when he, normally you would. Yep. Uh, you're going to go into the season again. And we know that uh, Chase Claypool is to be diplomatic, passionate. And I actually agreed with what he was doing on the sideline when he said, hey, we don't have to be embarrassed. We don't have to take 
the 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 butt kicking we were taking. That's why he had the blow up on the on the sideline. You know, it's one thing to tank the season and rebuild and all that, but I'm with him. Show a little pride, right? Just don't don't turtle and take it. Uh, and, and and you know, Justin had to go over there and calm him down. But if you truly believe that is the guy and that what you traded for him was okay and you're not blinking, then you almost have to double down. Yeah. And and the worst thing you can do is go into the season not giving that guy the contract extension and maybe given that the, the lack of production and the move already, you can get him a little bit cheaper this offseason anyway because I don't think there'll be a, a lot of people knocking down his door to overpay for him uh, You know, once he becomes a free agent. But – you should make him as happy as you can make him. And if you truly believe that you are not blinking and he's still the guy, mm-hmm. and he's certainly 1A, if not 1, then you need to get that done in the soft season. You don't need to be doing Roquan Smith 2.0. You, you know, that's you that's interesting. I really hadn't necessarily considered it, but it's a great point. Are you just giving us lip service at the press conference there to try and – because you don't want to admit that you do have some reservations about how it played out – or if you truly believe it, like you said, this is a perfect buying opportunity. Buy low on Chase Claypool, get him locked and, up. And it would just be the time to do it anyway. Yeah, no, you're, mean, you're you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about it because I have been so unconvinced by the way it's sure. played out with the Bears that I really hadn't even. And but you're right. If you're not giving us just lip service at the season-ending press conference, there, then yes, we should expect Ryan Poles to lock Chase Claypool up to a longer-term deal. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, he. I mean, whether you believe he should double down or not, if he believes yeah. that's the guy, he needs to double down. And again, every decision you make when you sit in that big chair is going to be evaluated and picked apart. And it's already being picked apart, but you got to stick to your guns, okay? I mean, if Jacksonville thought Christian Kirk was worth uh, $72 million, $37 million guaranteed and the whole NFL world was laughing at it, then stick to your guns and, and live with however that plays out. He's Brian Hanley. I'm Jeff Meller. 312-332-3776. You can watch us on Twitch today and every day at twitch.tv slash ESPN 1000 Chicago, which is brought to you by Connie's Pizza. You can also listen to us on ESPN 1000, 100.3 HD2, or the ESPN Chicago app. All right. his All of his decisions, you're right, Brian, will be under a microscope, especially moving forward now that You've done the hard or the easy part in terms of completely, you know, knocking everything down. The renovation is now the tough part. You've completely bulldozed everything. The demolition's easy. Now, hey, even I, even I rented a jackhammer once <laughs> and and broke apart the the foundation mm-hmm. to a place I bought. Uh, but you, once I hauled the big hunks of concrete and you know, enlisted family and friends to help me out with the wheelbarrows. Yes. I wasn't about to be the guy to start. That structure would have collapsed in a, in a day, right? But any dope can can tear it down. We can all take we can all take a sledgehammer. We can all take a sorry. We can all take a sledgehammer to the drywall, right? Right. Now, you don't have to be the property brothers to do that part of it. Absolutely. Okay? Now, who's got the vision to build up an immaculate, you know, restoration here? That's the question, and. It's under a microscope for Ryan Poles moving forward, and he's got a new set of eyes on him. We'll talk about that next here in two minutes on ESPN 1000.